And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. If I did anything wrong, why did they pay me off? I'm not entirely sure why he keeps going. The doctor told the players coming in, make sure you eat plenty of bananas and Brussels sprouts. And I thought it was a joke. I seen for some holidays, really. Sam got the sack. I, well, I just couldn't believe what was going on because he was the, the lifeblood of the uh, of the team. Plus, he's a big man. So when he talks, the f***ing walls shake. My gratitude, my love for Sam Allardyce will always be with me. In December 2020, after two and a half years out of football, Sam Allardyce was appointed West Brom manager. It's his 11th permanent club job as the Baggies became the latest team in trouble to put up the Sam signal, usually a surefire cure for the ills of any struggling football team. By his own admission, Allardyce had come to terms with the idea that Everton, the club he left in 2018, could be his last job. And the longer he spent out of the game, the less likely it seemed that another club would call on him. But just when he thought he was out, they pulled him back in, continuing an enduring relationship with English football that has lasted over a quarter of a century. Sam Allardyce seemingly can't quit English football. And English football can't quit him. But why? Why does football keep coming back to Sam Allardyce? Why is he so good at what he does? And has he taken on a job too big, even for Big Sam, this time? I'm James McNicholas, and welcome to Beyond the Headline, The Making of Big Sam. Let's go back to 1991. Sam Allardyce was looking for work and looking for direction. His playing days were almost over. He'd been sacked as player coach at West Brom along with Brian Talbot after an embarrassing defeat and on league Woking in the FA Cup. He wanted to be a manager, but with little experience, he had to take what he could get. As he told the Oxford Union in 2020. Probably the best thing for me was actually starting really low in Limerick, which was a semi-professional football club. I actually went there as player manager. I had a chairman who was a, who was just a, a dream to, to work with. He was a Catholic priest. The priest's name was Father Joe Young, who had recently taken over as chairman of Limerick FC in the League of Ireland. And I just put a call through to him, and this is a good one, you've got to laugh at this. I, I said, could I speak to Sam Allardyce speaking? This is Father Joe Young in Limerick, and he told me to have off. <laughs> he thought I was pulling his leg, you know? And I said, no. And uh, he mentioned some other player that he thought was, you know, having a bit of fun with him. Once it was established that it wasn't one of Sam's old pals on the wind-up, Allardyce, for lack of other options as much as anything else, got on a plane to Ireland. But he was heading into the unknown, to a semi-professional club run by a priest in a place he'd never been before. A place, due to a spate of knife crime, that was known as Stab City. Not the most enticing offer. 
So how did Father Joe sell the idea to Allardyce? <laughs> That's for confession though, right? <laughs> maybe maybe I was a little bit um, maybe I was a little bit extravagant because what I did do I, I when he came off uh, the, the plane in, in Shannon, I, I brought him to the the rugby grounds in Tuman Park, which is where young Munster Munster plays. He thought this was great. Now I said, Sam, this is the ultimate goal. Now I'll show you what we have. <laughs> and I brought him up and he said, Jesus, Father Joe, are you serious? I said, look, nothing is impossible to those who believe. If Allardyce were taking a leap of faith, and so were Limerick. He was, after all, just an ex-pro with limited coaching experience who really only came to Father Joe's attention because he recognised his name from the West Brom days. But Allardyce had at least been thinking about being a manager for nearly a decade. Back in 1983, he spent a few months playing for the Tampa Bay Rowdies in the North American Soccer League, a club known, and we're not making this up, as the Fannies. But it was there that the seeds were planted for the methods that would define his managerial career. We shared a training ground with Tampa Bay Books. Here's Sam on discovering the sheer amount of backroom staff in the NFL. There were 60, 60 players and there were, there were individual coaches. There was the head coach, there was sports psychologist, psychiatrist, five, six physios, eight, nine masseurs. I saw the analyst lads, which hadn't happened in England at that particular time, and the analyst lads took analysts from both games and built the, the game playbook for the quarterback. And then I went to see the fitness coach, the strength and conditioning coach, the nutritionalist, supplements, fluids, even three staff that were only employed for strappings. So you could imagine what an eye-opening was for me because at the top level of, in England, we had a manager, assistant manager, a physio, and that was it. And we, hadn't, we didn't have anything else. And so this, this, this amount of staff was, made a massive impression on my mind that, um, that when I came back, that I had in my mind, the back of my mind, that if I get the opportunity to manage, then somewhere along the line, I will try and introduce this these techniques into into football and see see if it worked and see where it see where it went. Simple things like diet and nutrition that we take for granted now were simply not thought about in English football in the eighties. Then it was still the norm to offer players a sip of brandy or a whiskey before games, rather than something more useful like a Gatorade. Another Englishman playing in America around the same time was Rodney Marsh. His eyes were also open to the wonders of fruit and veg to help players. One of the things that uh, early on I was uh, uh, instructed was with regards to diet because the average temperature on the field in Tampa is 105 in the, su- in the, in the heat of the summer it's 105 degrees uh, on the field the doctor our doctor told the players coming in make sure you eat plenty of bananas and Brussels sprouts and I thought it was a joke <laughs> I thought he was joking until I realised that all the other players were doing the same thing. They were all eating bananas and Brussels sprouts because you lose um, potassium and magnesium 
straight out of your body as soon as you run on the field. Whilst that idea was foreign to you and me in the 80s, it was standard across the pond. It's not so much soccer. It's American sports where everything in America is laid out properly and, and, and everything is to make the athlete better including, um, you know, even drinks and things like that. What to drink, not what to, you know, and, and the Gatorade versus water and some, and, all, and everything, every aspect of an athlete in America is, is designed to make the performance of the athletes as, as, as the top of their, of their form and their game. From the start, Allardyce had all of this in mind, but at Limerick, he had to rely a little more on his wits. But even then, the qualities that his players talk about now were evident. He was so inspiring. So inspiring. The only other time I, I got the opportunity of feeling so inspired by somebody like that was meeting Jack Charlton, God rest him. He did deserve the name Big Sam. He was a big character, you know? Not just in, 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 in physique and in size, but also in his vision. I remember one player who I think on a few days prior to or in the week or the, the night before a game, he found out that he'd gone away and had a few drinks. And I remember him pulling him to the window of the, the dressing room and he said, look over it there at that elderly man. He is paid out of his social welfare to come in and see you. Is this the way you show him respect? And he said, take off your jersey. So Sam demanded absolute discipline. He was a total disciplinarian. As well as trying to manage a semi-professional team in unfamiliar surroundings, life at Limerick presented its own set of unique challenges, such as the uh, fundraising trips Allardyce would take around the town with Father Joe. If you have never seen the power of a collar in Ireland, I saw the power of the collar. So when we didn't have enough money to pay the wages, uh, we jumped in a car and he'd ring up some people he knew and there'd be some cash passed through the window. So I had to count it. And uh, when I counted it and felt that we got our wage bill on a week then was about a 2,000 punts. That was obviously before, that's how long ago it is, before the Euro. Um, and once we got enough, that was it. And then we could pay the players after the game on a Sunday. Despite all of this, Allardyce managed to get Limerick promoted as winners of the League of Ireland First Division but the money eventually ran out. And there were only so many times he and Father Joe could drive around town asking for donations. He was thinking of setting up in Limerick. He was during the time. But as time went on, and as the need to try and get the necessary resources to, to pay players, and indeed to give him some sort of a, because there's no question about it in my mind, he paid a big price financially for being manager of Limerick. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Mm -hmm. 
Allardyce returned to England and became coach of the Preston youth team. When the first team job became available, he lost out to John Beck despite a brief spell in caretaker charge. But there was some significant friction between the two. Allardyce wrote in his autobiography, I didn't like him and he didn't like me. In 1994, he left Preston and was appointed manager of Blackpool. They just avoided relegation to the fourth division by a point. Few else seemed to fancy the job and Allardyce wasn't even given a real contract, but he took the job anyway. And this was where many of the methods he'd carried with him since those days in America would start to be put into practice. Back in those days, it was one manager and one physio. This is Mark Taylor, who was that physio at Blackpool. Mark would go on to be his performance director at Bolton and still works with Allardyce now. We did everything really, yeah. from nutrition to psychology to fitness to um, planning everything and recruitment and, and things like that. So it was all all hands on deck at the time. Back in those days, there wasn't an awful lot around the sports medicine and science. It was, it was really about the coaching and the management of, of everything and the support staff weren't that big at the time. Mark was clearly impressed by Sam's innovations. He touched on sports medicine and science across there and managed to use some of it to, to keep his footballing career going a little bit longer. And, and things that he hadn't seen in England, you know, just some simple stuff like, you know, some flexibility, pre-training things. Nutrition as well. Nutrition became a big part of what he, he, he believed in early doors. But being at a lower league club, Sam faced struggles to implement everything he wanted. The finances weren't around to, to cover things like nutrition and psychology and particularly some, well, some things in terms of technology and equipment for fitness. So we started to, to build up little bits of technology that weren't that expensive, but we could use them to give feedback to players and, and improve the performance. One of Aldice's first signings at Blackpool was Mickey Mellon, current Dundee United manager. Here's Mickey on Sam's novel methods. We were taking creatine. We were taking the drinks that, that clubs were probably starting to get on to five, six years later from when we'd first started them. We were doing weights programmes. We had individual programmes. We were doing video analysis. We were doing all that stuff and I had never really came across it before. As you can imagine, it's all very well having the drinks, the weights, the dietitians, and the like, but they'd be no good if the players didn't buy into them. And that's where the man management skills honed at Limerick came in. Phil Brown is another former player turned manager of Allardyce, who also first worked with him at Blackpool. I remember him on the training ground the very first time when we all first met him. He came on the training ground with... Um, with Bobby Saxton, and it, it was just a massive difference from Billy Bingham. Billy Bingham's walking around, I don't know, like an international manager with a, a flip chart and a clipboard underneath his in, underneath his arm, and he was sort of delegating. And uh, whew, Sam was totally the opposite. There was no flip flip chart. There was no clipboard. You know, it was just he had a, a mindset of how he wanted to set his team out, how he wanted to play, and um, he was drilling players into an organised unit of of 4-3-3, 4-4-2, whatever system we were playing, just by doing 11v11s on a regular basis, you know. It was the, the methodology more than anything else. He, he walks on the training ground, larger than life character, but but was it wasn't serious. He was a, he was a fun guy. You know, he liked, he liked having a crack. He liked having a joke on the training ground. He thought happy players are good players, you know. If, if 
you're going to get a point of view across and it's a, it's a strong point of view, which it was, and it was going to be questioned by players. He didn't mind having the crack. He didn't mind having the banter, but he would, he would prove his way was the right way. Even then, at the start of his career, Allardyce had a knack of knowing how to manage any situation, as Brown remembers. In a football club, you've always got um, you know somebody that's going to muddy the waters, somebody that's going to pull against what you're trying to do, somebody that's going to question it. So whenever it needed a, a firm hand, a strong arm, that was the course of action. Whenever it needed a light-hearted session, that was the course of action. He had a, he had a way of of understanding, recognising what was actually required to get that clear message across. And whether that was go out and have a few beers and relax everybody and have a meal and find out people people's strengths and weaknesses that way, whatever happened, you know, we, we, we did it, and but we all bought into it. And it's all of this which has allowed him to reach and identify with players throughout his career, as Mickey Mellon recalls. I just connected with him right away and believed I trusted him. I just thought this guy will get the most out of me and I want to work with him and I believed that, that he was going to uh, he was going to get a group of players to be successful. So I signed for Sam Allardyce really. Mark Taylor. It was based around education. So we would we would spend a lot of time speaking to the players before and after training, showing them the research and, and how it would affect them. And then ultimately giving them feedback, you know, proving it to them that that physical and, and and technical tactical performance has improved. And once once the players see that and and experience it, then the, the buy-in's quite easy. Initially, Allardyce had the experienced old campaigner Bobby Saxton as his assistant, but a difference of opinion with the club's hierarchy led to Saxton promptly being moved out. Enter Phil Brown. He was already at Blackpool and coming towards the end of his playing career. Sacco had been released and he asked me, did I want to take the position as um, player coach? And I jumped at the chance, you know. The downside was I was I was getting, listen to this one, I was getting great, I was getting decent money. And uh, he said the downside to it is <laughs> I had to take a drop in wages and become a player coach. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Less money and more work, a problem for footballers too. And the job was thankless, to say the least. I had uh, first-team duties, I had reserve-team duties, I had playing duties. I was in both camps. I was in the changing room and in the coaching room and in the manager's office. Uh, so I was, I was getting dragged all over the place. But what an unbelievable learning curve. The first season at Blackpool was spent stabilising. But by the second, they were promotion contenders. After a spell at the top of the table, they finished third, missing promotion by a point. But it was their highest league finish in a decade. They faced Bradford in the playoffs, and despite a 2-0 win at Valley Parade in the first leg, they lost the return 3-0. That wasn't good enough for Blackpool owner Owen Oyston, who by that stage had been jailed for rape and indecent assault. From his prison cell, he decreed that season's achievements weren't good enough and that Allardyce should be sacked. Well, I just couldn't believe what, what, what was going on because he was the he was the life blood of the of the team at Blackpool at the time. He was the all this thought process about how he wanted to manage and how he wanted to coach, etc. etc. After leaving Blackpool, Allardyce spent a brief period at the head of Sunderland's Academy before taking over at struggling Notts County. He couldn't avoid relegation to the fourth tier, 
but the following season got them promoted at a canter, winning Division 3 by 17 points. The, the first time I encountered Sam Allardyce, he was managing Notts County and I was I just joined the Nottingham Evening Post as a, as a junior reporter. Here's Oliver Kay, now senior football writer for The Athletic, but the age of 23 witnessed firsthand the Big Sam experience. And I was sent down to the, 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 the stadium to, to interview him and... and sort of welcomed into his office and, and, you know, this big, you know, big guy with a, you know, it's a, he had, had a moustache at the time and he had, I'm, I'm sure he had a cigar or an ashtray on his, on his table. And, and, you know, he was, he was big, big booming voice and gravelly voice. And um, he seems, you know, quite, I, th- I don't want to say intimidating, but he had, a, you know, he had a strong presence about him and he was he sort of, you know, he, he was, he was a man that, a man that, he had a certain sort of aura as he walked into a room uh, or, or as he walked into his, his room as it was. Those innovations in management continued in his time at Meadow Lane. What really stood out in those days was he was talking a lot about sports science, about recovery, about rehabilitation, about data. He was talking about, you know, we had so many entries into the final third. We had so many crosses. I'd never even heard at that point, I'd never even heard you know, on the Champions League or, or or Premier League statistics, you would never hear talk of, you know, he'd say, oh, we, we, we put 32 crosses in, we had 40 final third entries. And I, as a, you know, 23-year-old, 24-year-old trainee journalist, had no idea whether that was that was a lot or, or not because, because you know, you weren't used to hearing those numbers. Those, those numbers which we all know about now, I don't think most managers managing the Premier League were that much across their data, performance data and metrics at at that time. By now, Allardyce was not just a promising lower league manager. He was Big Sam, a fully-fledged character and unlikely pioneer. While he isn't always the most popular man in the wider football sphere, it's notable that those who've worked with Sam have few bad words to say about him. Mickey Mellon. Management is about the group of players or the set of tools that you have in order to try and do what football's all about, and that's try and win games and become successful. What Sam's always been able to do is look around the room of what he's got available and work out a way of getting clean sheets and winning games of football with what he has. If you gave Sam Allardyce any set of tools, if you gave him the best set of tools in the, in, uh, that was available, would create the best football that was available. He's, he's adaptive and understands at the end of the day, what football's about is with what you've got, gaining the right results, whatever way that takes. Father Joe Young. His presence in the dressing room was phenomenal. His, his presence with the team from an inspirational point of view was incredible. One of the true hallmarks of a Christian is, um, you know, to be able to acknowledge and to be have a sense of gratitude. And I, I just want to say my gratitude, my love for Sam Allardyce will always be with me. After Notts County came Bolton, 
where Allardyce achieved his greatest successes. In the next episode of Beyond the Headline, we'll look at why he was so good there. There was 36, 36 people in the room. And we had started at Blackpool with four. The complicated legacy he left at some other clubs. The biggest thing was that he arrived and then Mike Ashley immediately uh, replaced uh, the regime that brought him in. And the debacle of the England job. I doubt he will ever get over the disappointment. He, he, will, he will think about it every day. He will regret it every day. You've been listening to part one of a three-part series of Beyond the Headline. The Making of Big Sam. Parts two and three are available to listen to now, and you can find it ad-free via The Athletic. If you're not already a subscriber, head to theathletic.com beyond to see our latest offers. Subscribe now to make sure you don't miss out on future editions of the podcast. Beyond the Headline was produced by Abby Patterson for The Athletic. It was written by Nick Miller. The executive producer was Ian McIntosh. Athletic.